good to be here and worship with you today. So take your Bibles and turn to Psalm chapter 1. We are beginning a series today, Summer in the Psalms. We're just going to pick, uh, I've picked a few uh, important psalms. I mean, they're all important, but, but some that are just really uh, rich, I think, and, and meaning for us today, and, and just some ones to highlight some different psalms. Some of the psalms are psalms of praise, some are psalms of lament, some, are, some of them are psalms about faith and hope, and some of them are psalms about the Messiah and about the Word of God. And so we're going to kind of look at a, a variety of these this summer. The book of Psalms really is, is a book, it's a collection of 150 Hebrew poems. And they're organized into five different books. And a lot of scholars believe that the reason that the Psalms are organized into five books is because that's to mirror the five books of the Torah. You know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So the Psalms help us to interpret the rest of the Bible. And, and so Psalms, you know, has been said they're a hymn book, but they're also more than that. They're a prayer book, but they're also more than that. They're, they're really a lens through which God's people can look at the world as we faithfully try to follow His Word and await His kingdom. Scholar N.T. Wright says that when we meditate on, pray, and live out the Psalms, he says we weave the Psalms into the very heart of our devotional life and find as we do that the way we look out at the world will change bit by bit. Now, Psalms 1 and 2 work together as sort of an introduction to the rest of the book of Psalms. They encourage this very idea of meditating and living by and and just taking into our heart and allowing to change us bit by bit, that they really support that idea. In fact, Psalm chapter 1 focuses on the individual's relationship with God, especially as, as we allow God's Word to guide our steps. Psalm chapter 2 focuses on not the individual's relationship with God, but the nation's relationship with God, especially whether they're going to submit to His Messiah and live within His kingdom. So together, Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 link God's Word and God's kingdom. They call us to meditate and to live on God's Word as we await for God's kingdom. But today I want us to especially focus on Psalm 1. And I want us to think about Psalm 1 in terms of life's journey as the ultimate road trip. Okay? There are, there's something just exciting about a road trip, isn't there? Maybe you and your family have been on a road trip. In the back of my mind for years, I've been sort of planning this road trip out west for my family. And one of these days, we're going to load up in, in the truck or the van, and we're going to hit the road, and we're going to go out to the Grand Canyon. That's sort of the destination. And just see all the stuff between here and there. And as I start getting maybe a little stressed about school and things like that, I just I go to my happy place. I think about going out west to the Grand Canyon. And it just kind of the, the, the stress melts away. And I think, man, that will be so much fun to go out there. Well, in many ways, life is like that. Life is like this ultimate road trip. And the destination that everyone wants to head for is to have a blessed life. Everybody wants to be blessed. Now, I know that kind of sounds churchy and campy. And, and today it's sort of a little superficial because everybody likes to, you know, hashtag blessed. You know, as they talk about all the good things in their life. And so it, it can be a little corny, but, but the word blessed is a rich word in the Bible. We heard this morning some of the Beatitudes. Uh, and, and the Beatitudes are just a list of blessings. You know, how can you live a life to be blessed? 
And, and in, the, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word that you usually see for blessed, like, is in bless the Lord, O my soul, uh, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. That is the Hebrew word Baruch. And it means to praise. It means to, to commend, uh, to, to favor something. So you're blessing the Lord, you're praising the Lord, you're favoring the Lord with your life. But Psalm 1 begins. Psalm 1 begins the book of Psalms almost in a beatitude. Blessed is the man. Now that Hebrew word is a different word. That's the word ashar. And that word literally means happy. Happy is the man. Fulfilled is the man. Satisfied is the man. And that's what we're going to look at. Everyone wants that. Everyone wants to be happy, to be fulfilled, to be satisfied. But the problem comes in deciding how do we get there. And what Psalm 1 does is it gives us a choice. There are two roads to this destination of blessing. Two roads that claim to be the way to that destination. Jesus described them as the wide road and the narrow. But here in Psalm 1, it's described as the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. And let's, let's start in verse 1. It actually starts with the way of the wicked, the wrong way, the wrong way to blessing. It promises to take you to blessing, but it will never deliver. The wrong way to blessing is the wicked way. Look at verse 1. Blessed, happy, fulfilled, satisfied is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. I want us to notice how those who follow the wicked way are on a downward spiral into depravity. There's three groups of words I want us to look at. The first group of words describe the route. And that route is a terrible trajectory. Look at this terrible trajectory. First you walk, then you stand, but then you sit. Now that word walk, in the Hebrew it means to follow, to go with someone. The downward spiral of sin usually starts with baby steps, with small steps. You know, it's, it's a white lie. You steal a pack of gum. You cheat on a homework assignment. You download a, a bootleg movie off the Internet. Walking in the counsel of the wicked means that you start to take those small and at the time maybe insignificant steps down the wrong road. But then walking turns into standing. Now the Hebrew word here to stand, it's you know, pretty self-describing you know, uh, there. It means to stand. It means to be permanent. It means to establish yourself, to, to, to set in position and stand firm. It, it's a term that describes persistence. You're being persistent now. You see, the more you lie, the easier it becomes. And you have to be persistent with that lie, don't you? Or else the lie will be found out. The more you cheat and steal, the less you think of it as cheating and stealing. Our individual actions can quickly become behavioral patterns. And we're plotting our course. We're setting our trajectory. You know, if you're aiming at a target that's, that's far away, maybe it's miles away, and you're off by just a millimeter here, it's imperceptible. You can't even see the difference that millimeter might make. But a mile away, it makes a huge difference. And the further away that target you're aiming at, the more you're off right here, the further off you'll be down the road. Our actions today 
carry huge consequences in the future. But then we go from just walking and standing to sitting. And this Hebrew word literally means to dwell, to inhabit, to live in. It's also the Hebrew word that's used to marry. So the idea here is, is you've, you've, you've made yourself a home. You're taking up residence. You're settling down. It's in fact the same word we read in Psalm 23 when it says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You can say, I will sit in the house of the Lord forever. I will live, I will inhabit the house of the Lord forever. This word is a word that carries with it the idea of permanence. We've gone from persistence in our ways to permanence in our sinful ways. At the end of this downward spiral into darkness is the heart who has settled into the ways of the world. Their heart's disposition has become fixed into this set pattern They've come to not only do wrong, but to identify with wrongdoers. They stand in solidarity and identity with those who reject God, who reject His truth and His ways. That is the route, the terrible trajectory. But then the second set of words in here tell us about the destination. They describe for us a persistent pattern. You start off with you're walking in the council, but then you're standing in the way, and then finally you're sitting in the seat. A few years ago, Julie and I were on one of our road trips up to Tennessee. And, uh, and we, you know, like to go up through Tacoa and Clayton and that way. And, and every year we drive around the little bypass around Tacoa, you see that mountain off to the side. Does anybody know the name of that mountain? Currahee. Very good. Currahee Mountain. And, uh, and, you know, somebody told me that there's a great view from up on top of that mountain. That if you go up there, there's this rock, you can stand there, it's this gorgeous view. And so Julie and I, we're... We're thinking, hey, let's drive up there real quick. Just a little excursion. So I punch it into my GPS, and it takes us down this dirt road in the middle of the woods. And I'm like, is this the right way? You know, I, I, don't, I don't know about this. We're in the Honda minivan, okay? We're not in a four-wheel drive or even in my truck. We're in the minivan. So we're going along through there, and I'm a little, you know, my, my sort of my spotty sense is going off. And I'm like, you know, is this, is this a good call? Do we really need to be doing this? And nobody knows we're going up here. And there's no cell phone reception all of a sudden. And I hear banjo music. And I'm just getting really nervous. And, and I'm ignoring all the signs, you know. And, and it starts to get a little less scary until it starts to get a lot scary. And, and I start to notice cars pulled off to the side of the road. And I don't think anything of it. And we start kind of climbing. And I start noticing people walking. And I start to think, you know, maybe you're supposed to park and walk up. This may not be a good, a good, and, and so the wheels are kind of spinning in the gravel and we're fishtailing a little bit and, and all of a sudden I'm just really worried. But, but I'm locked in. The course is set. There's no turning back because there's nowhere to turn around, right? Well, that's the way life can be sometimes. We set a course. We set a course. Now that Hebrew word, course or counsel, it's to tell someone what they should do based on a plan. You give someone a course of action to follow. And the course that we follow in our lives we could call our worldview. And everyone has a worldview. And we're in the midst of a war of worldviews in Western society today. Now the wicked, the godless people, they follow a roadmap that's based on a secular worldview that's hard at work trying to indoctrinate us every day. Scientism is one of those worldviews. Scientism is a, it's different from science. It's more of a philosophy that believes that if you can't, 
if you can't sense it with your five senses, if you can't measure it, if you can't plug it into a mathematical formula, then it doesn't exist. There's also the worldview of individualism. And, and, and this worldview, it rejects absolute truth. It rejects any kind of moral standard. And we hear the message, we've got to live out our truth. You live out your truth. You do you and I'll do me. Whatever works for you, that's what's right. You just kind of make up the rules as you go. Another worldview out there today is consumerism, materialism. It, it puts the emphasis on pleasure, that pursuing pleasure and getting more stuff and having fun, that those are the highest goals in life. And, and all of us are in some way tainted by these competing worldviews to the gospel. And as we pursue any kind of a worldly course of action, it quickly becomes a routine. A routine. The Hebrew word here, way, is pretty simple. It means road. It means path. But it can also mean a way of living. It, it refers to your conduct, your manners, your customs. I might say it can refer to your habits and your routines. So when we follow the course the world lays out for us, that we're plotting the route to our intended destination, but it's the wrong course. In fact, that, that, that English word routine comes from the French word for road, which is root. It comes from the word root, routine. You repeat your actions over and over again. You follow a course enough that you, you kind of beat out a well-worn path. And you start to take that path all the time, whether you think about it or not. Have you ever been on the, on the way home, driving home from work, and all of a sudden you're home? And you think about it, you're like, I don't even remember turning onto the road. I don't remember, you know, half the drive here. We kind of get locked into autopilot because it's our routine. And we can live life that way. We follow a worldly routine and we don't even think about it. When you've mapped out the wrong route, are you going to reach your destination? No. Not unless you make a course correction. You know, it's like the GPS lady recalculating. Re, you know, she's always recalculating. You know, no, you're going the wrong way. Go this way. What are your routines? Are there any habitual sins that you're harboring? Are you like the proverbial man who won't stop and ask for directions, but just kind of plows on ahead because you know where you're going? Right? You know what you're doing. What is, what is your pattern of life? And this prayer and, and Bible intake, is that a part of your daily rhythm? Is worshiping with God's people and being in a, in a small group to study His Word, is accountability and service and giving, are these a part of the pattern of your life? Because that course that becomes that pattern, that routine, it quickly becomes home. It turns into home. This word seat, again, it's based on that same Hebrew word as sit. It means dwelling place. Literally, this phrase says, or dwell in the dwelling of mockers. This is the place where you live. It's where you kick back in your lazy boy. It's where you, you hang your hat. You know, as we got to the top of Kurahi, I felt stuck. I didn't know how to get down from there. We finally made it to the top. And it was a gorgeous view. I couldn't enjoy it. I was too busy worrying about, you know, how are we going to get down from here? You know, b between the drop-off and the rock back here, I had to do like a 20-point turn to finally get the van pointed back down the hill. 
And as I'm going down the hill, I'm just so worried and nervous that, you know, am I going to slide? Am I going to lose control? What's going to happen? That I couldn't even enjoy where I was. What I thought was going to be a good destination wasn't. Sin is that way. Sin takes you where you don't want to go. It keeps you longer than you want to stay. And it costs you more than you're willing to pay. Let's look at this third set of words. These words describe for us our fellow travelers on life's journey. And these fellow travelers are corrupting companions. They're wicked. They're sinners. They're mockers. 1 Corinthians 15.33 tells us not to be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. We've got to be careful about the people we do life with. Now this first term, wicked, it means legally guilty of breaking the law. So this is a legal term. It's describing someone who's not innocent of breaking Torah. They're guilty of breaking God's laws. The wicked. But then we go from just the wicked who are guilty illegally to the sinners who are guilty morally. They're morally guilty of missing the mark. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The, the picture there is of somebody who, who's got a bow and arrow, and they're, they're, they're letting go of the arrow, and it's falling short. It's missing its target. Again, if we have pl- plotted the wrong route through our lives, we're not going to get to our destination. We're going to miss the mark. But then notice the progression. You're not just legally guilty. You're not just morally guilty of missing the mark. But this last person, the mockers, are spiritual guilt, spiritually guilty of denying God. The Hebrew word for mocker literally means someone who stammers or babbles. They're talking, but they're not making any sense. And, and this word came to mean someone who speaks words of derision, who speaks words of ridicule. The mocker. In fact, in the book of Proverbs, we're going through, we were going through Proverbs on Wednesday night back in the spring. The mocker, we talked about him. He's one of the arch-villains in Proverbs, along with the fool and the sluggard and the, and the, the gossip. You have the mocker. Proverbs 21-24 says, The proud and arrogant person, mocker is his name, behaves with insolent fury. The mocker arrogantly assumes superiority. He even thinks he's superior over God. Mockers are cynical, and they're constantly sneering at and passing judgment against everything that is good and true and right. So the summary of the way of the wicked is this. The downward slide of sin begins with the ungodly thinking of the wicked. It digresses into a pattern of sinful practices, and finally it settles into life among those who deny God and mock all that He stands for. That's the way of the wicked. Now, verse 2, we learn about the one way to blessing. There's only one way to blessing. There's the wrong way, then there's the one way. And the one way to blessing is the righteous way. Listen to verse 2. But his delight, meaning the blessed man, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Now, there's a, a, a simple progression in this verse. The one who delights in God's Word is blessed because right attitude leads to right action. Right attitude leads to right action. If you delight in someone, what do you want to do? You want to spend time with them, don't you? 
If you delight in a song when it comes on the radio, what do you do? You sing along with it. If you delight in a particular place, you want to go there on vacation. And if you delight in the Word of God, you want to meditate on it day and night. If we delight in God's Word, if it is our joy and our pleasure, then it should result in us spending time in God's Word, reading it, meditating on it, memorizing it, studying it. Now, what does it mean to meditate? When it says to meditate day and night, that's not like the New Age meditation, you know, you, you, um, you know, and stuff like that. That's not it. Not New Age. You don't have to burn any incense here, okay? The Hebrew word meditate is the word that means to utter sounds, to speak. Now, it's interesting. Remember what I said? Mocker means what? To babble and to make sounds. So these two words, it's kind of a word play here. You're not the mocker who's just babbling words of ridicule. When you're meditating, you are speaking over and over again the very words of God. Psalm 143.5 says, I remember the days of long ago. I meditate on all your works and consider what your hands have done. This verse gives us a great description of meditation. When we meditate on God's Word, we're reciting it to ourselves. We're going over it in our minds. We're considering everything God has said and done so that we can remember it when we need it most. In Joshua 1.8, the Lord commands Joshua to keep this book of the law always on your lips. Always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Jesus put it this way. To the Jews who had believed in Him, Jesus said, If you hold to My teaching, you are really My disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. The Bible is God's answer to the illusions of this world and to the seductions of Satan. He has revealed the truth to us so that we can live free, so that we can be prosperous and successful in life. The wrong way of the wicked... The one way of the righteous, it's your choice. Now, we move on to verses 3 through 5, and it tells us we've arrived at our destination. Again, you know the GPS lady. You know, you have arrived at your destination. Verses 3 through 5 paint a picture for us of what the destination of the wicked looks like and what the destination of the righteous looks like. Now, let's look at the results of righteousness. Look in verse 3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, whatever he does prospers. It's interesting to compare Genesis 1 and Psalm 1. Genesis, maybe Genesis 1 and 2 and Psalm 1. It, there's some interesting parallels there. Both of them talk about life. Both of them talk about streams. Both of them talk about trees. And together they highlight for us the, the power of God's life-giving Word. In Genesis 1, God speaks Word, and He speaks life into existence by His Word, doesn't He? But in Psalm 1, it reminds us that He also sustains and nurtures our life by His Word. The person who plants their life deeply into God's Word draws life from it draws spiritual vitality and nourishment and strength from it. Notice here that it says streams, plural. 
streams of water. Not just one stream, but streams of water. It, it highlights the abundant, overflowing supply of strength and grace that is ours through the life-giving truth of Scripture. The righteous person is blessed because they have planted their roots deeply into a reservoir that will never run dry. I want you to just listen to the words of Psalm 19, 7 through 10, and how it describes God's Word. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinance of the, of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. And by them is your servant warned. And in keeping them, there is great reward. Notice back in Psalm 1 the results of abiding in, of planning your life deeply in this Word and living in the way of the righteous. First, the first result is that you are fruitful in season. It says you are fruitful in season. Now Jesus, later on in John, He talks to His followers about if they abide in Him and His Word abides in them, then they will bear much fruit. And it's fruit that will last. Fruit that will remain. Now what is this fruitfulness? Well, I think it's twofold. I think we bear an inward fruit of being a disciple. We bear an inward fruit of being a disciple. Paul talks about this in Galatians 5. He calls it the fruit of the Spirit. And the idea is if we are abiding in God's Word and if Christ is abiding in our heart, if we are like a, vine, a branch that is grafted into the vine, then we're going to be able to begin to bear the very character of Jesus in the way we think, in the way we speak, and in what we do. We begin to look like Him. It, it's almost like the first verse of Psalm 1 here, but in Christ, not in the wicked. So we make our home in Christ, and He makes His home in us. And, and, and Jesus talks about you can, you can tell somebody by the fruit, you can judge a tree by its fruit. Well, you can tell whether somebody is at home in Christ or at home in the world, can't you? But then there's not just the inward fruit of being a disciple. We also begin to bear the outward fruit of making disciples. See, if you're abiding in the Word, and if you're bearing the fruit of Christ, people are going to take notice. And you're going to have opportunities to share the gospel with people. And then you're going to begin to bear another kind of fruit. And that is the fruit of new believers in Jesus. Of people that you are discipling. It's what the Great Commission is all about. That's the lasting fruit. That's the treasure that we store up in heaven when we lead other people to faith in Christ. So we're fruitfulness in season. But then another advantage is that we're evergreen out of season. It's sort of like what Ben was talking about. You know, in the desert, in the driest days of summer, a tree, if it is deeply rooted by streams of water, it's going to be lush and green if everything else around it is dry and dying, isn't it? It doesn't matter what is going on in your life. You could be in a difficult, dry season financially, spiritually, relationally. It could be stress at home or school or work. And you're going to have the strength and the peace and the wisdom you need because you're drawing it from the very Word of God. And in prayer, you're drawing strength from the Spirit of God. Jesus said, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. 
He could withstand the storms of life because he had a firm foundation. The blessed man can withstand the dry seasons of life because he's deeply rooted in the Word of God. And then the third result of righteousness is prosperity in all seasons. Prosperity all the time. Remember, we said the destination that everybody is aiming for is a happy life, fulfillment and purpose and joy and prosperity. And when our lives are guided and guarded by the Word of God, we will be prosperous and successful because we are experiencing the abundant life that Jesus said He came to give us. Fruitfulness, evergreen, prosperous. That's the destination of those who are on the righteous way. But what's the destination of those who are wicked? Look at verses 4 through 5. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Now, contrast this. Contrast the righteous who are described as lush and fruitful trees planted by streams of water with the wicked who are like dry, lifeless chaff blown away by the wind. The wicked will not experience blessing. They will not be happy. They will not be successful. They will not be fruitful because they're chaff. And as Ben was saying, chaff is the, you know, when you're, when you're sifting wheat and they, they get there and they're winnowing the wheat and they're sifting the wheat out there, they're, they're tossing it up and the chaff is the dry husk and the stalk and the pieces that the wind blow away and the seed, the kernels of wheat fall to the ground. The chaff, it's about as opposite a picture as you can get from a mighty oak tree, let's say, that's planted by streams of water with deep roots. The chaff is worthless. It's lifeless. It's empty. It's void. It's fruitless. It's either blown away by the wind or it's burned up in the fire. And the idea here is that when someone lives apart from God's Word, they have no fruit. They have no root. And they have no nourishment. And they have no life. They're like the house that's built on the sand. When the storms of life come, they fall apart. They're like the branch that's been cut off from the vine. Good for nothing but to be burned. See, those who live a life apart from a relationship with God in Christ, those who live by their own rules, those who are following the world's course, those are the people described in verse 1. They think that they're also headed for a life of blessing and fulfillment and joy and purpose. They're looking for love, but on all the wrong places. They're on the wrong path. They are going to miss the mark. In reality, their destination is hopeless. Look back at verse 5. They have no real future. It says that the wicked will not stand before God's judgment throne. They cannot stand approved. They cannot stand accepted. They will not stand innocent before the throne of God. Psalm 24, 3-4 describes this for us. It asks the question, Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in His holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. You see, the wicked have no real future. They cannot stand on the Lord's holy mountain. They cannot stand in His holy place because, secondly, they have no real present. They have no real future because they have no real present. They are chaff. They will not be in the assembly of the righteous. They have have excluded themselves 
from the congregation of God's people. Remember back in verse 1, we talked about your traveling companions. Well, the wicked have rejected the righteous as their traveling companions. They've chosen a different path. They are not among the people of God. They're not among those who will stand justified before God's throne. And the reason is because the wicked's hands are not clean. Their hearts, they're guilty of breaking God's law. Their hearts are not pure because they are sinners who have missed the mark and fallen short of the glory of God. And their home will not be with the Lord because they have mocked God by denying Him as the one true God worthy of worship and praise. Instead, they followed after other gods. The wicked have no future because they're guilty of breaking God's law. They've missed the mark and they've lived lives mocking and denying the Lord. They are now and forever separated from God in hell because they've lived their lives cut off from God's Word and from God's people. Now, it's pretty heavy. And if you're like me, you're wondering, is there any hope? Is there any hope for the wicked? Can they, can they change their trajectory? Can they alter their, their course and change that ultimate destination? Well, the gospel of Jesus Christ answers that question for us. And the answer is yes. God is a God of grace and mercy. In fact, 2 Peter 3.9 tells us that God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but for everyone to come to repentance. And that word repent literally means to change course, to change direction. You're driving down the road, you realize you've missed your turn, you realize you've mapped the wrong route, you realize you're going the wrong direction, you come to your senses, you stop, you turn around, even if it's a 30-point turn, you turn around and you go the right way. That's repentance. In our, New, in our Old Testament reading this morning, it says, See, I set before you today life and prosperity death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to Him, to keep His commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you. He goes on to say, I have set before you life and death, blessing and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God and listen to His voice and hold fast to Him, for the Lord is your life. We must choose which path we are going to follow. We must choose which way we're going to live our lives. Is it the way of the righteous or the way of the wicked? In verse 6, look at verse 6. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The way of the righteous leads to blessing, to life, and salvation. And Psalm 1 tells us that when we delight in God's Word, God watches over our way. When we delight in God's Word, God watches over our way. As followers of Jesus Christ, we trust our lives now and our eternal destinies someday into the hands of the Good Shepherd who leads and feeds and guards and, and guides His flock. We are in the flock of the Good Shepherd. 
And our shepherd's eyes are on us. His ears are open to our cries. His Spirit indwells us. And we have security. Not because we're perfect. Not because we follow some rules in a book. It's because of His grace that guards and guides us. Jesus, remember, said, He is the way and the truth and the life. And we can stand before the Father forgiven, not because of ourselves, but because of Jesus. So don't mistake this psalm as saying that you're saved and blessed because you always do the right thing and you always make the right choices. None of us are perfect, amen? Now the point of this psalm isn't about rules and religion. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ who is the righteous way, who is the truth of God's Word, who is the blessed life that we seek to live. But the way of the wicked, it says, will perish. Now it's interesting, this word perish... It's the Hebrew word that means to wander off, to get lost. It's the picture of a sheep who has wandered away from the protection of the flock, who has strayed from the watchful eye of his shepherd. This morning, are you on the way of righteousness or are you descending down the way of wickedness? Are you planted in the life-giving streams of God's Word or are you like the chaff, being blown about by every wind of philosophy and idea that, that comes in our culture? Are you rootless and fruitless? Are you one of the Lord's sheep this morning or are you a sheep without a shepherd wandering off to your destruction? Jesus invites you today to turn from that path. If that's the path you're on, if you're on that path of wickedness, if you're just following the winds of this world, Jesus invites you to change your course. He wants to give you clean hands. He wants to give you a pure heart. He wants to welcome you into His life of blessing. Will you accept His invitation?